Roy's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The spring racing season is in full swing. Down under, Jai Edwards' dreams have become reality as he upsets Stuart McSwain to win the Australian 1500 meter title and book his ticket to the Tokyo Olympics. Stateside, I think Mo has run 157.73 to smash the collegiate record in the 800 meters. Elliot Kipchoge is back. He wins the NN Mission Marathon in 204.30. Christian Coleman's ban has been reduced, but he's still going to be missing the Olympics this summer. His rivals down in Florida were competing over the weekend. Justin Gatlin gets the win there. Noah Lyles runs 10.08. We'll talk about that. In South Africa, Casta Semenya has run 15.52 for 5,000 meters. Could she make the Olympics in that event? And how about some love for Javon Mutt, 10-4-0 to 9-9-4 in one race. We'll talk about that as well. Robert Weldon, great to be talking to you this week. How are you guys doing? Feeling great, John. Things are finally getting back to normal here in beautiful Baltimore, Maryland. Got 50% of my COVID shots done. LA Kipchoge is back in the winter circle. I just feel like life is returning to normalcy. I don't know which was more jarring for me. Kipchoge losing that marathon last fall or the whole not going to a restaurant for the last year. Yeah, it's been strange. I was in Boston by the finish line of the marathon on Monday, and it's the second straight year we have not had a marathon on Patriots Day. It was gorgeous weather. It really would have been a really nice day to be out in the city and just enjoying the vibrancy of spring. And it's weird. Like normally the night before a marathon, I'll get a little nervous. I'll be, I'll be kind of like, oh, it's going to be a big day tomorrow. What am I going to write? What's going to happen? And I just didn't have any of that. So I really am missing that. And, you know, big city marathon racing can't come any soon, can't come soon enough for me. John, the Boston Marathon took place. Boston Marathon race director Dave McGilvery, he ran it. Did you guys see that? He went out like 5 a.m., ran the course. Did he, did he actually run the course, or did he run loops around his neighborhood? I wasn't totally sure about that. Oh, it's not as cool if he didn't run the course. He might have run the course. I, I They did actually, they had an HBO Real Sports, had a whole segment on Dave McGilvery last night and how he's heading up Massachusetts vaccination efforts and sort of his history. It's pretty pretty neat segment to check out if you get a chance. Yeah, remember like a year ago when Boston Marathon Day came around and people were acting like, if you ran the course, you know, hundreds of people will be dead because of, of your actions. It just shows, like, we didn't know anything about COVID back then. Like, it was right before my daughter was born. I, my cousin came out to store some stuff. We treated him like he had the plague, came out from the city. But I hope, I think things are looking up. And the track and field world, for sure, is looking up. I mean, we had some great action from 100 meters to the marathon this past weekend. 
And folks, LRC Supporters Club member and ultra marathon star Des Linden is going to take on the Boston Marathon. Has she ever run Boston before, John? I don't know. I mean, the step down from 50K to the marathon distance, not everyone can handle that. It's a significant step. So we'll see. Ultra marathon runs Boston. That's our headline, right? With Des announcing her plans. It'd be great to see what she can actually do in a, a marathon. I'm not sure what's going on there. That's called a joke, Robert. Apparently you didn't get it. But yes, Des Linden last week broke the 50K world best. But obviously, she's run Boston seven times. She's won it once. She's come second once. So it's a little, you know, well, that I were having a little fun there. Okay. Can I apologize for minimizing what COVID is? I said I referred to it as something that's prevented me from going to a restaurant for the last year. So just for the people that were triggered, I apologize. It's just been a little bit tough for me. I decided to go for a 28-day dry challenge, John. I didn't announce this on the podcast. A few weeks ago, you asked if I had been drinking. I was three days into the dry challenge. I should have announced it then, but I'm pretty sure this is week three and a half, so I've only got four more days to go. I may have skipped a week, though, so this could be only week two and a half. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> what do you mean you may have skipped a week? Well, John, you know, I'm, just, I'm pretty sure I haven't been drinking for three and a half weeks. So, If you don't know whether you've been drinking or not, you probably have been drinking a lot. I'm also curious, 28 days, you didn't just decide, like, like I did dry January this year. You didn't just decide, like, I'll just do dry April, and then when it gets to May, I can drink again? No, I meant to do dry February, and I was going to pick the shortest day of the month and do, make it an annual affair, but I forgot to do it. So I figured, you know, I might as well start and start small with 28 days. But, John, you asked me how I'm doing. I'm really worried about you because, full disclosure, I know in some states you need to reveal what phone calls you're recording. So let me publicly state for the record, from now on, I'm going to be recording all phone calls between you and me because I think the best segment on Let's Run would be Jonathan's rants. John has been going off on the phone recently to me. And I'm like, if I had just tape recorded these, we could have amazing segments. But how are you doing, John? I'm doing okay. I just, I don't know. For some reason, I think I was more stressed out than usual this week, Robert. But it's just frustrating as a journalist when you are trying to work with some people in our industry who like I'm trying to promote the sport here, right? I'm trying to share information and sometimes not everyone has the same aims. And I guess that's the challenge of being a journalist, but anyway, I don't know. I I was just a little frustrated, but I'm in a good mood now. You know why I'm in a good mood? Because on this supporters club podcast last week, the Friday 15, the three of us made our predictions for Elliot Kipchoge's NN Mission Marathon, his first race, his first marathon since his defeat in London last year. All three of us made the same prediction, that he would win the race in 204. And Weldon, can, can you prove it? Can you pull up the audio here and prove this documentation? The, the three of us? Let me just play the audio. Uh, the question was presented to me. But I want to talk, Weldon, about... Eli Kipchoge. I mean, we mentioned him a bit on our podcast this week. He is running a marathon this weekend on Sunday. I want predictions. I'm feeling like 204 victory. Robert, how about you? What's your pick? So maybe like a 62-30 first half. For him to get in the 203 range would be really hard. So I actually think Weldon's, yes, 204 is a good pick. The more I think about it, Kipchoge for the win. I wanted to argue about this with you guys, but my pick even before Weldon said anything was going to be with Kipchoge for the win in 204. 
So there you have it. Put to the test. I didn't even flinch. I just said 204 victory. You guys didn't bandwagon. Copied me knowing that I'm the brains of let'srun.com. But a broken clock is what, right? Twice a day, John. Huge victory for, for all, the, all three of us. But yeah, let's talk about this race first. Because Kipchoge, he got mission accomplished in one way. He got back to the winning circle. He ran 204. It's a decent marathon. But when I was thinking he was going to run 204, I assumed it would be a negative split. And instead, this was a positive split. He was, what, essentially a minute slower the second half of this race? So I'm still putting him as the favorite for the Olympic marathon, but are, are you guys worried about Ilya Kipchoge in any way? I mean, I guess we can't be too worried, but this, I don't know. I give this like a B performance for him. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Like, I don't, I don't view Kipchoge as the unstoppable force that he was maybe a year ago. And maybe that's wrong, but I do think like I think he's he's beatable. But I do think he deserves to be the favorite. I would certainly pick him to win. But maybe this at the Olympics, you're no longer in a position where you're saying like normally if you had Kipchoge versus the field over the last few years, you'd probably go Kipchoge. And now if you get Kipchoge against the field, you're probably taking the field in Tokyo. But I'm not super worried. Like, yes, he slowed down. So he went 61-43, 62-47 for his splits. Robert did a very good job, actually, uh, in the week that was this week. He'll he'll probably brag about this in a minute, but he deserves to. Robert, you compiled all his splits from every marathon he's ever run, and you actually tell the audience what you tried to do, and then I had to sort of step in and prevent you from doing. Well, I spent a lot of time on it. I was quite proud of it. So when I presented the table, I... I found the little copyright symbol and put it in the table. And John called me up like, again, all I rate. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Are you trying to copyright a table? I was like, yes. I don't want anyone, any damn announcer using this table without at least citing me. So I think if I put this little C here. And you think putting a C there will make them cite your table. That'll change their opinion. <laughs> so I took the C off, but we know that other journalists, you can't copyright facts. But look, seriously, people. When you read something on Let's Run, put, just say you got it from Let's Run. That's all we're asking. A little love. Thank you. Robert, I think you can copyright compilation of facts if they're presented in a unique way. Copyright lawyers, please contact us. Robert will probably drop about three grand copywriting his table with all the money he's blowing on the equipment. This is another first. hope Robert sounds really well today. He's got his, he came on the podcast. There was no video issues, no audio issues behind the scenes. I mean, if this... If we make it through today smoothly, then John will be happy all week and hopefully happy next week and we'll really hit a new standard. Yeah, how does this $600 mic sound? I hope I'm... You sound great, Robert. You sound great. But anyway, back to this race. So I don't know. I'm not so... Like, what I wanted to see from this race was I wanted to see Kipchoge win. I think 204 is fine. That's what I predicted from him. He Look, he put two minutes on these guys over the last 10K and... Okay, he wasn't speeding up like he does in some of his best marathons, but he didn't look like he was straining to me. He looked in control the whole way. It was basically like, all right, he went through the... He got his preparation in. He got the win. He sort of backed to normal. I think mentally, as much as anything, like Kipchoge always talks about the mental side of the sport. I just think mentally, this was a nice rebound for him to get back. He won. This was not a tough field, okay? There was two other guys who had run 206 in it. But it's not like he was beating any sort of superstars in this race. But 
the fact that he won and then he made it look pretty easy, I think that's a very good sign. It, that's what I wanted to see from Kipchoge. Well, John, first of all, as an employee, I heard I'm supposed to work in morale. So thank you for waking up at 2.30 in the morning or staying up and recapping the meet. I was very impressed by that. I didn't expect that. But I don't know if you're feeling the heat or not because Employee 1.1 has written the most popular article of the year by far. Maybe you were feeling a little bit insecure in your job security. I mean, Steve hardly ever writes articles, and he writes one article, just crushed it. Which Oh, the Usain Bolt one? Yes, it was his April Fool's article about (laughs) Usain Bolt coming back, and I guess Google thought it was real. But, you know, hey, um, whatever got you motivated to watch the race. But when I'm reading your recap, I'm like, this is – Sounds like fake news. John's like, and he put this gap on the t- on the field. Well, no, the field. Everyone was slowing down. They were just slowing down more. So, I'm a little bit concerned. I think it's a solid race. I mean, I don't know why I would have expected when they went out that hard. But the fact that he's slowing down, I just feel like if it was easy for him, he wouldn't have been slowing down. So the reality, as the table points out, I think only five times has he run slower than 62:30 in the second half of a marathon, and he's run the slowest half second half marathon and his fourth slowest in history in his last back-to-back races. So I think most likely peak Kipchoge is gone, but in some ways this reminds me of the oil thing. Like we, People have been saying we're going to run out of oil for 20, 30 years, and yet we're actually producing as much, if not more oil, than we ever have in history. So Kipchoge, if he's if peak Kipchoge is gone, it doesn't mean there's still not a lot in the tank, and, and he's a very formidable person. So Happy to see him win. Happy to see the event go off. But if I'm Galen Rupp, I'm feeling a little bit better about things. Yeah, I mean the one the one question here is like Kipchoge and a lot, especially like his London victories. We'll see him with company through twenty two or twenty three miles, and then he'll drop like a four thirty or a couple four thirties, and then it'll be game over. And he didn't need to do that that this time because there wasn't anyone to drop by mile 22 or mile 23. And that's going to be the question in Sapporo this summer is, you know, when it gets down to nut crunching time, end of the race, is he still going to be able to drop that 430 or, you know, that back-to-back 435s or something to drop the pack and thin them out? And that's, you know, he's shown before he can do it, but you've got to prove yourself every time out in the marathon. I just watched my first clip of the actual marathon. Showed him finishing. Full race is up on YouTube. We'll put a link in the show notes. Him at the end, it, it looked like classic Kipchoge. Looked very relaxed. He's just so damn smooth when he runs the marathon. And some of my questions for Tokyo, or I guess it's not Tokyo, it's Sapporo, are, because that's where the Olympic marathon will be held. They moved it to Sapporo. Because it's not quite as hot. I think that's the reasoning. Yeah. But it's still very hot. But it'll be much harder than any marathon that Kipchoge has run. Um, I assume even compared to Rio. He doesn't have a lot of warm weather marathon experience. And the course isn't perfectly flat. And that's kind of crazy the more I think about it. Eli Kipchoge, the world's greatest marathon. Has he ever not run a pancake flat course? I guess the Rio Olympic course wasn't pancake flat, but what was the elevation gain in that one? But it, it's sort of amazing and that, I mean, it's kind of in some ways what the marathons be- become, but on a non-flat, not perfect weather course, can he still win? I guess he did it in Rio, but Sapporo is going to be another level of challenge. 
Well, that's why I've always said if you're looking for holes in the resume, I mean, he's clearly the greatest marathoner in history. What has he won? 14 of 16 races, if you count the sub-two exhibitions. I mean, that's incredible. That's ridiculous. But I want to see a mastery of all the surfaces. I want to see the French Open. I want to see the Wimbledon on grass. I don't want to just see pancake fight after pancake fight. Yes, he's won London. Yes, he's won Chicago. Yes, he's won Berlin. But I've never seen him win in New York or Boston. So hopefully... We can get a New York this year. NYRR, are you listening? The guy's going to need to make some money. So sign him up. I think Kipchoge has plenty of money, Robert. But I, this is a catch-22 because Kipchoge, you're here saying like, oh, he's never actually done it on the Bostons or the New Yorks, you know, the championship-style courses. The problem is if he started running those races, then people would be like, why is he dodging the best athletes in London? Why isn't he going for the world record in Berlin? Berlin, We'd be poking ho- those holes in his resume. So as a marathoner, it's kind of like you have to pick a couple things to go for. It's very hard to do absolutely everything in the sport. Now, Kipchoge, maybe if he, you know, if he wins this Olympics or, you know, he's already got the world record. Maybe if he runs Boston, New York the next couple of years and starts winning those, then he actually will have done everything. But you only really get to run two, maybe three a year. And Kipchoge is pretty wedded, married to the two marathons per year thing. So I find it hard to criticize him for not running Boston or New York or any of those races when he's, it's not like he's dodging them by going to London or trying to chase the world record in Berlin. No, I mean, the guy shows up at London every year, which is the world's best marathon. And then he won the world record for a long time. And that was hard to get because of conditions. And then he needed the sub two. Now there's a couple sub two attempts. So, whatever. Um, I mean, his career is insane. 16 marathons. And the worst one I think is what a two Oh six. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Really think about it. So, Oh, one, one last thing on this race, Robert, Augustine Choge, another DNF. I'm kind of bummed. I was excited to see him run this. Like he's a guy he's run 144 for 800 on the track. He's run 59, 26 and a half marathon. He won that epic 2006 Commonwealth Games against Craig Mottram in, in uh, Melbourne. And I was hoping he could run this marathon, get under 210, and really, that would pretty much be the greatest range ever. I don't think anyone's ever run 144 and sub 210 in the marathon. And unfortunately, he tried this in Chicago a few years ago. He DNF'd. He also DNF'd in this race. So maybe the marathon is bridged too far for the great Augustine Choge. I got a correction. The Rio course was pretty much pancake flat, so... Kipchoge has never run a marathon that isn't pancake flat. But still the favorite for Sapporo. And people were having the Olympics, right? If we just say positive things, we're going to have an Olympics for sure, right? Money's what matters. Oh, shit, John. Now, with the cancellation of the Super League, which I think all sports fans think is a great thing, but now if money isn't the number one priority, could they cancel the Olympics in the name of safety? I hope not. I hope not. Employee 1.1, didn't he say like he would bet his entire life savings there was an Olympics this year? I think he said that on the Monday call. Well, that's not saying much, though. I mean, he doesn't. Wife's a school teacher. He's paid by the hour by Let'sRun.com, so. We love you, Steve. Anyways, let's move to the Australian Championships. This was, well, there was two races that I just was thought were amazing to watch and we put them up both on the website the australian men's 1500 meter championships as well as Athing mo running 157 and 800 which we'll get to later but this race was amazing folks let's run nation 
you should be excited because we finally saw someone's dreams become reality. I've always joked that most of the time your dreams don't become reality. But what happened was the underdog, the guy that didn't even have a sub four minute mile in his on his resume before the season started, heading into the Australian start of the Australian track season in December, this young man had never broken four minutes in the mile. Jai Edwards is who we're talking about. And now, just a few months later, he races the Australian 1,500-meter national record holder, a 330 guy, and he goes out with him in 55 seconds for the f- first lap, 152 for the second lap. No sca- Not scared. They gap the field by 50 meters. And at the end, he's got the kick, and he wins it in 333.99. Not only does he win the race, he gets the Olympic standard where your dreams become reality. The ultimate underdog is now going to the Olympics. I'm kidding a little bit, of course, folks. If you want to be Jai Edwards, you know, let's run nation. You do need to break the equivalent of a sub four minute mile at age 18. He did run a 341, what, four or five years ago. So big talent. But this reiterates what I've always said. Talent doesn't go away. Is number one. And number two is, well, I don't know what my second point was. I forgot, but amazing race, dude. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal to watch, Robert. And the thing that really strikes me thinking about it is just how outrageously talented Jai Edwards is. Because Stuart McSwain is a terrific runner. You know, one of the best in the world. He ran 330 last summer, you know, and what, 728 as well, I think, for Stuart McSwain. Like, he's really, really, really good. And Jai Edwards has essentially from 2017 to 2020, a span of three, it's, it was almost four years i think he ran a total of no i think it was three years sorry he ran a total of one race from march 7 2017 to march 2020 he basically couldn't string together more than a few months of training together without being injured and this year he finally gets a healthy season he's training under the famed dick telford now and he goes out and he goes undefeated and then he beats Stuart mcswain one of the greatest runners in the history of australia it, this is really his first season as a pro. Jai Edwards, I don't believe he's sponsored by anyone. He just wears a singlet with Telford, which is his coach's name, on the front. I mean, can you imagine how talented you have to be to have essentially one healthy season of training in the last four years, and then you're beating Stuart McSwain in the national championships? It, it's phenomenal. There was some post on the message board that he assigned a contract with Puma after the meet was over. I don't know if that's true or not. That would make sense. They're signing pretty much everyone else. But I would say, obviously, like, I don't want to just say, like, oh, it's only because of his talent. You know, clearly, he's to stick with the sport after all he's gone through and to keep going. That takes a degree of perseverance. And you obviously have to work hard to, to get there. But, you know, what really stuck out was, like, Ada Talent. And then also the guts to go with McSwain. I guess. Maybe it wasn't as... I mean, I, you'd have to ask him to see how tough a decision it was, but he didn't have the Olympic standard going in. I believe, according to... If the World Rankings website is right, he was only ranked, like, 1,732nd in the world coming into this race. So maybe there's a flaw in the system because he'd been running pretty well uh, in Australia prior to this race. But he was the guy who needed the Olympic standard, and he saw he's got the best runner in the country is willing to tow him along to it. So he got on that train. He had to make a decision quickly, but props to him. He got on that train, followed McSwain for about 1,450 meters, and then sprinted by him at the end. 
that that was the part that was the best part about it to me was there was just no fear. It was like fight or flight, and he went with it. And I was kind of surprised that nobody else did. I mean, didn't everybody else know that the name of the game, you win and you're in? Maybe they didn't think that Stuart McSwain was beatable. I mean, I guess these guys aren't in the same type of shape as Jai Edwards, but... Right. Yeah, when you see a 330 guy take it out trying to run 333 or 332 from the front, and you're a 337 guy... You're probably going to be like, and you know that you're probably not faster than 337 or 336 right now. I think the sensible thing is to hang on and try and get second. Now, offline, John, you seem to question why did McSwain do this? I thought this was a smart tactic. He's run way faster than anyone else in the field recently. He's not really, he's kind of a 15-5 guy. I mean, if I, you could argue he's even a long distance guy. Maybe he's not a pure 1500 meter runner. So I've got, I'm faster than them. I'm just going to make him a fast race and see if anybody can come with me. So. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it was a bad idea by McSwain. I think there's, it certainly makes a lot of sense when you're a 330 guy and the next fastest guy close to you is 335. Yeah, I totally understand it. What I'm curious is just, I, I'm curious, what was his, was that his exact thinking? Because also McSwain has his teammates, Matt Ramsden and Ryan Gregson, who are fighting for Olympic spots too. And you would think, Matt Ramsden has the Olympic standard and Jai Edwards didn't. And you would think the way for Ramsden to get on the team was for the race to go a little slower to make sure that Edwards did not get the standard and then he might be in position to go over Jai Edwards. So I'm kind of curious about that, if that ever factored into that thinking from a team. I think you're over overthinking that because then what's, there's nothing stopping Jai Edwards from going to get the standard somewhere else. So I thought the tactics were fine. I thought this was an amazing outcome. Amazing race. Loved every aspect about it. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think props to both athletes. It was, I mean, I, I, t- I turned it on. I like pulled it up right as I was starting to watch this Kipchoge race on late Saturday night, early Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And I pulled up the stream to the right spot. I didn't want to be spoiled. And then with a hundred to go, I'm just like, this is a hell of a race. I'm so glad I, I, I got to see this. Like just really a, a terrific display for, for our sport. Now, Jai, if you're listening, or Dick Telford, I put Jonathan Galt in charge of reaching out to you to get you as a podcast guest. We've been unable to get in touch with you. So email the show, pod at letsrun.com, pod at letsrun.com, or call us, 844-538-7786. We'd love to have you on the show. That may have been another reason why Jonathan was seemed a little bit off, his, stressed out and angry recently. I mean, he's overshadowed by Steve on the April Fool's articles, and then he's unable to secure the interview that I told him to do. No, that's that That wasn't what bothered me. I mean, I'm used to not having people respond um, to emails. That was not the inciting incident, I don't think. So should we go from one phenom to another? A thing Mo in the United States, 157.73. And not, I mean, look, she ran 158.40 indoors at SECs in February. So the idea that she could run seven-tenths of a second faster in April. Not a huge shock. What was a shock was her splits in this race. 60.0, 57.7, and she just ran that 60 the first lap. I was like, she just looks so easy and so smooth. It looked like she was jogging, and then she just picks it up, lengthens her stride out a little bit, and it's 57.7 coming home. This was just dominance. And I guess... I don't know if you guys have any other takeaways, but now I'm thinking, I'm like, and I don't want to get too carried away, but at the same time, like, could she win the Olympics this summer? We have to ask that question. Exactly, John. That is the question that you got to start asking at some point. Because 
I mean, everyone thought Ajay Wilson was going to win the Olympics last year. I mean, the World Championships were two years ago, I guess now. But the intersex women are out. Castro Semenya will not be running the Olympics. It's anyone's ball game now. If you're a 157 runner, you got a shot. And it's, that was such a smooth run. And, and we know, I think Mo has amazing speed. And what she's putting together this year, she's showing the endurance. But she just ran away from that field. Like, it looked effortlessly. Like, we were talking about how the high schooler Hobbs Kessler looks so smooth when he's running. I think Mo just, just, just glided away the last lap, 57, made it look easy. Like, there was no strain in her face, no nothing. And that's how you want to run when you're running so fast. But, whew. Well, I think you make a good point there. You know, how effortless she looks. That's why it's so beautiful to watch. I mean, I, that's, I was just like, wow, she's just crushing these people. I mean, the, 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 the runner up, right, was the NCAA indoor champions. John, help me out with her last name. Yeah, Leah Miller, and she ran two flat point eight seven. She, I mean, that's a good race for Leah Miller. Two flat point eight for a collegian. That's very good running. And she wasn't even in the pick show when I think Mo finished this race. Yeah, almost top 10 all time NCAAs for the runner up, and, and Mo just destroyed her. But I'll point out this. Can she win the Olympic gold? Yes, it's possible, without a doubt. But Ajay Wilson often, I mean, I'm saying Ajay, Ajay, and so can Ajay, but Ajay, because, just because you look effortless doesn't mean that it's not effortless. I, I, it was like, oh, she can run 155. I don't know if she can do that. We shall see, um, you know, what she can do. But, you know, I, I think y'all get pushed back on the, a few mo- weeks ago when I said that I thought that Cole Hawker had the ability to medal in the Olympics in the 1500 and y'all acted like that was crazy that a freshman could do it. But we've seen people in college do it regularly. I mean, Matthew Sintowitz did it in college. Clayton Murphy did it in college. Um, admittedly, they were a little bit more established than these two. But, you know, it was, I don't know, there was just something about seeing this run that to me that was, I don't know. I was blown away by it when I really should have been because it's basically the same time she ran indoors. I guess three quarters of a second is, is significant, but amazing. Good run. I think I, I love how she's doing so well and hope it, hope it continues. Yeah. And I don't think, look, the fact that we're asking the question, could she win the Olympics? I don't think that, I hope this doesn't create an expectation that she should be like, she's 18. If she misses the team this year, I'd be, I, I mean, I don't think that's a t- disaster. You look, Donovan Brazier, when he was the same age, he missed the team. He turned out all right. And you do have the reigning silver and bronze medalists. Like the 800, women's 800 team is going to be one of the hardest teams to make in America. So, you know, she she has to go through three rounds of heats at the trials in the Olympics. I just think, you know, that's a lot of expectations to put on an 800, it's an 18-year-old. At the same time, her talent is undeniable. You know, could her season end in August with an Olympic gold? Yeah, it could. It could also end in June with her going out of the trials. And that's okay. Like, she's got a very, very bright future and a very, very bright present. I'll say that as well. Yeah. Right now, I'm trying to think of this. But her odds of not making the Olympics are actually, yeah, they're greater than her odds of winning the Olympics. I mean, I think it's more likely she doesn't make the team. The U.S. is stacked at 800 right now. And the question marks, I think, for a thing are, how does she do going through rounds? Till this year, her 800 times didn't match her 600 times. So endurance was a question. She's younger. And at the trials, you got to go through three rounds of the 800. So can she do that? She's not coming at this. She's coming at it from more of a sprint background. So that's a big question mark. Does she hold up at the trials? Can she actually make the team? And then if she were to get to Tokyo, repeat that again versus an even tougher uh, field. But the U.S. field... 
at the top is almost as good as the Olympic. I mean, that's how good the U.S. women are right now. Well, I, I guess you could say that, but I don't know. Do we need to talk about Raven Rogers? You know, like, where is she this year? Well, apparently Raven Rogers said on Instagram she's going to be racing for the first time this weekend. I'm guessing that's going to be at the USATF Grand Prix at the Oregon Relays on Saturday, but that's yet to be confirmed as of this taping. And folks, if you haven't joined our supporters club already, you need to because every Friday we do a bonus podcast, the Friday 15 for the supporting club members. Go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. And it happens every week. John gets mad that these, you know, the Oregon Relays are this weekend. We don't know the fields because they're not released, but this happens all the time in our sport. We have no idea on a Wednesday what's going to happen in the weekend. So generally on Friday, we get more in depth into what's going to be happening. You guys see this? It's my mouthpiece case. Do you guys think Jai Edwards or I think Mo were wearing an airwave performance mouthpiece when they raced this weekend? I don't know, Weldon. John, you're you're not too good with these sponsor plugs. You're supposed to be a little more natural, free-flowing when you say that stuff. But, guys, the Airway Performance Mouthpiece is here after 16 years of research. It's a mouthpiece that is designed for runners. It's designed to increase endurance by reducing the respiratory rate by 20%. That results in less lactic acid. It increases strength by improving muscular endurance, faster recovery times with less cortisol buildup. Check it out and you will save 10%. Link in the show notes, airwave, A-I-R-W-A-A-V dot com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. This is only $39.99. You can save another 10% off. Check it out now. Put airwave to the test, like me, airwave.com. Y'all are incorrect in saying that people keep saying this and it's driving me nuts. The Raven Rogers hasn't raced. She has run. She ran the 400 at the Prairie View A&M meet on April 3rd. She ran 53.52. Considering her PR is 52.06, it's not all that impressive. But I did go back and look up what she ran in 2019, the year she won the silver medal. On May 13th, she ran 53.06 in her Wone 400. So this is, you know, half a second slower, but it's significantly earlier in the year. And she won that. Although she did win the 53.06 race when she did not win this race. So I'm interested in seeing what she does this weekend, assuming it's at 800 because, yes, she's a big talent. Talent doesn't go away. But, you know, if you're banged up or whatever, it, it's hard to do really well. Well, Roger, you stole – I was going to go on a rant over at the end of the episode about this USATF Grand Prix. I just think it's a joke. Like, this is the first meet of World Athletics Continental Tour – gold series it's the first big pro meet that's being held at new haywood field it's going to be nationally broadcast on nbc 5 to 7 p.m if nbc sports sorry 5 to 7 p.m eastern on saturday with three days out from this meet and we don't know who's running in it like come on people this is so supposed to be one of the showcase events of the sport at the showcase stadium of the sport in this country with three days out we don't know who's running how is that going to make people excited about the sport what are we supposed to talk like? All right, this is selfish. Like, this is our podcast. Obviously, we want to talk about the meet on our podcast. But like, how are fans supposed to get excited about this meet, which should be awesome, assuming we've got good athletes competing, if they don't know who's running in it? I just think, come on, people. I mean, do the athletes even know if they're running? That's the crazy thing. So if you're if you're an athlete or an agent or coach, please email us pod at let's run.com. But yeah, but for fans, three days out, we should know what's going on because. 
you can't assume anyone you know finds out something the day before something. That's not how you promote sports. You don't just like launch an event with no lead up of people kind of hear, oh hey, next week there's this meet, so and so is running. It, it is pretty crazy. I didn't even know this meet was going to be on na- national television. So they, they've created this circuit, but let's do a little more to publicize it. You know, even if it, the sort of online stuff is just ten percent on the margins, you just figure oh people are going to turn into NBCSN. But come on, people. I mean, could you imagine if the NFL says, hey, we've got a really big game for you this weekend. Um, we'll tell you, you know, at some point who's playing in it, maybe two days beforehand. I don't like y'all complaining about this because if USATF did their PR job and all these meets did their PR job, there'd be no need for Let's Run. So our job is to help make, to, to compile, we do this. We compile the information. We find the information that nobody else has because it's a, it is, it's basically a full-time job to figure out what the hell's going on and running. It, it changes so much. All right, we got to get to the sprint action. There's a lot of sprint action we need to talk about. And the big story, we did address it on the Friday 15, but I want to address it here because when people hear the name Christian Coleman, they associate it with yours truly, Robert Johnson. Those of you who don't know what we're talking about, in 2019, Christian Coleman narrowly was banned, was almost banned for missing three drug tests, but one of the drug tests was backdated. And at the time, I said that Christian Coleman needed to take a drug test every day for the rest of his career to prove that he was clean because there would forever be doubts about that. And when that happened, his father, Seth, went to the Let's Run.com message boards on September 4th and called, said, Robert Johnson is an unprofessional, irresponsible hack and an idiot, and I have no problem telling him to his face. So I'm sure you all want to know what I think about Coleman. Coleman has been banned, and I think some people probably assume I'm happy about that. I am not happy about this ban at all. And sometimes I, I think I, I do in general like to take the contrarian position. I'm very good at taking the other side. I probably should be an arbitrator because I think a lot of people are really poor at seeing the other side of things. That's one of my strengths. When I listen to baseball games, like the Orioles game, it ends. I will go back and listen to the radio, to the visiting team's radio play by play. Cause I like to hear the other side, how they were calling the exact same thing. So in this case though, this reminds me of the Alberto Salazar ban. Yeah, he's banned, but I, I'm not happy about it. Like, I, I, A, as a fan, I want to see the fastest people in the Olympics. But B, I'm against doping. But in this case, the arbitrators have said, or the quarter arbitration of sport has said, they thought it was reasonable, the quote is reasonable, that Christian Coleman, it was reasonable for Christian Coleman to assume that the drug testers would call him. So in my mind, the fact that he's five minutes away at the Chipotle doesn't matter. They should have called him and given him the opportunity to come back. Maybe he was trying to hide something. I don't know. But when the, you don't ban someone from the Olympics when it was reasonable for them to expect something. Those two, this, this is absurd to me. Well, I don't think it's absurd. I think this is a guy who was given, he, had a, he got off in 2019 on a technicality. Now it was correctly interpreted technicality. He's someone who should be on high alert. As soon as he had those two missed tests on his record, he was not on high alert. Going Christmas shopping while you're sitting on two missed tests during your window is not on high alert. You should be sitting in your house, sitting on the couch, waiting for the doorbell to ring for that entire hour. He didn't do it. He, He was unprofessional in his obligations. I don't... Look, do I think he was doping? If he guns my head, I probably not. But he was certainly unprofessional. And I don't think... I. Most athletes who obey this system and follow this system every day of their lives, they're not going to have sympathy for him, and I don't really have a lot of sympathy for him either. 
I'm not saying he wasn't totally irresponsible. He, he was very much irresponsible, John. But I view the anti-doping thing as I want it to be viewed as like the law enforcement. And the police have, in this, uh, police have a very tough job, but they have a very a huge responsibility. And what are we, we're starting to hold the police to a really high standard, as we should. And we needed to do the same thing of the drug testers. You know, just as the police are, are videotaping all interactions with the public, these drug testers should be videotaping themselves trying to, 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 to drug test people. So we have no doubt as to where they were, where they were. No, no, there should be no debate about this. That's number one. Uh, you know, that, that is just so important. You've got to hold them to a really high line like we do the police. And because this is like, it's not like, almost in some ways, it's like they're sporting freedom. Like he, he's, it's gone. He's going to miss the Olympics. He's going to miss hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes, he has a huge responsibility in that. And Mr. Seth Coleman, if you're listening, Christian and his dad can't be complaining too much because what did his dad write on the message board on September 4th, 2019? He said, quote, Christian did not get off on a technicality or a loophole. The rule is the rule. Ask USADA, ask WADA. Well, the rule is they don't have to call. So according to that logic, he was banned properly. But I just kind of think like a Supreme Court president. If you call, sometimes you should call all the time. But bottom line, yes, John, you're right. Even Christian Coleman's dad said, Christian will be more diligent in his whereabout filings, but he did not break a rule. He's not a doper, never has been, never will be. Well, we don't know about that, but he wasn't obviously more diligent on that front. And, but I, I do have sympathy for him because of the president. Well, you need the, the thing you hit on there, Robert, is consistency. If, they, if you saw the agents are calling him and AIU agents aren't calling him, that's a problem with the system that needs to be fixed. You need to have it every time you're tested, no matter what body, they need to either call you or not call you. It needs to be the same every time. I think calling you and trying to get the test completed is the best set of options, the best path to go down here because it's not like they're calling them hours ahead of time to set up their test. They're calling you within your hour and if you don't make it back after they call you, that's going to be that's going to go down as a missed test. I don't think calling someone at 7.45 when it's in the middle of their window is going to give them a real opportunity to cover up whatever doping they might be going, you know, doing at that point. This is interesting. The whole calling thing I hadn't really thought about till Robert brought it up, but they call every single time and then didn't this time. I kind of have a problem with that. Yet at the same time, like you guys said, this is, you have to miss three drug trips to get banned. Christian Coleman was on the thinnest device. I think I said on the Friday 15, it's just, it's sad for me. He's not at the Olympics. This guy squandered one of his biggest opportunities in life. It's gone. But if they call every single time and don't call, I kind of have a problem with that. It's like, let's run.com way back. We should do a podcast on this. We had an advertising partner and there was a technical line that said, you may not if you alter the advertising code for any reason, we can cancel the contract. And so they would they would tell me like, hey, change the code out, change the code out, turn the sound on, turn the sound off. So they set up this relationship where I was changing the ad code all the time. And then they wanted out of the contract and said, hey, you violated the contract. It was like a three-year guaranteed contract. I mean, we had to get lawyers. We went to federal court. It was a disaster. So I think precedent does matter. And so going forward, I want to see the full decision of this court case. It hasn't been out. They've only released a one page summary. So that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, and plus they reduced the ban. So they admitted that they had some role in this. They went from 24 to 18 months, but he's going to miss the Olympics. It's like giving someone, I, I don't know. Like missing the Olympics is almost like, like 
a death penalty equivalent in, in, in the criminal justice system. I personally think there should be lifetime bans. If you take EPO, you're gone. If you miss three drug tests in a calendar year, you're gone. Oh, I don't no, have, no, no. Yes. I don't have any problem with it. There's no reason for this, John. We, we, you're gone. We clean the sport up, but we also have no doubt. It's like if you're going to have those type of strict policies, then there can be no doubt about it. So you, the, 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 the you know, they, they record themselves when they're trying to test, etc. I don't, I mean, Christian Coleman was irresponsible in this case, but I don't think it deserves a lifetime ban from the sport. I just think that's that's too harsh a penalty. But but but, but Don, he, he could very easily be doping and then just getting away with it. Then it would be smart to miss the drug test. That that is possible, but you're still getting a two year ban at that point. I don't know. I I think I'd like to move on here and talk about with Coleman absent. You know, the Olympic hundred meter title, he would have been the clear favorite uh, going into this year if he was able to compete. You know, he's the reigning world champion, nine seven six PB, and now it's wide open. And this weekend, very interesting result of the Tom Jones Invitational at the University of Florida. You had. The silver and bronze medalists from the 2019 World Championships and Justin Gatlin and Andre DeGrasse in there. You had Noah Lyles in there, who has said he wants to move up, and he was the Diamond League champion in 2019. Moved down. And the, sorry? Noah Lyles wants to move down. Oh, sorry, move down. Um, you know, he's going for the double this year in the 100 and 200. And the winner of this race in 9.98 seconds, 39-year-old Justin Gatlin, DeGrasse second, 9.93. Cade Vagnarek, 10.03 in third. That's a big PB for him. He's a 200 specialist, uh, but that shows he's got some potential in the 100 as well. Noah Lyles, 10.08 in fourth. And then sixth was Kyrie King. Remember, Kyrie King won the Miramar invite a couple weeks ago. He ran 9.97 to beat Justin Gatlin. He was sixth in 10.23, so not a great race for him. But my takeaways here were, were two of them. One, I mean, this is a big result for Justin Gatlin to beat <laughs> basically the best guys in the world in this event. And two, I saw this result. Initially, I saw this result 10.08 for Noah Lyles. I'm like, wow, that's not great for Noah Lyles. You know, 10.08, he got, he, you know, getting fourth against these guys. How's he going to win the Olympics? And then I did a little research because he tweeted out after the race 10.08 for my season opener. I'm proud of it. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I looked. Well, actually, 2019, he ran 10.16 with a 2.6 wind, you know, tailwind in his first race on April 20th, and then 10.14 with a 1.8 tailwind on April 27th, and he got down to 9.86 by May 18th. So running 10.08 earlier in the season, than he ran this you know last weekend, earlier in the season than either of those, that 10.16 or the 10.14, I was like, you know what? That's actually a pretty solid result for Noah Lyles, and I'm not too worried about him anymore. Yeah, John, when, when this result came across our phones or computers this weekend, I think you and I were texting because my initial thought was, wow, this isn't good for, for Lyles. Remember, he ran that terrible 200 indoors. It was like 20.7 or something, and it was horrific. So I was like, I'm worried about this guy. He's talked about struggling with some depression. And I'm like, what's going on here? So your research there makes me feel much better about that. Um, it's a big win for Gatlin, but I'm wondering, like, how much more could he possibly go down? I mean, it's basically the same time that he ran in the other race. So he's consistent. He is a professional. 
you know he's not going to be intimidated by the moment. I think he can meddle and be surprised if he can win. I was I really think this is a good result for for DeGrasse. I mean, nine sub ten in his opener. I was looking at what he ran in twenty sixteen in his season opener. He also ran nine 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 in Florida, but it was a three meter per second win. So he's opening just as fast as he did in that Olympic year when he got the bronze medal. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I think that race will be wide open when we get to the Olympic final. I don't think there will be a clear favorite when we get there. But, John, I think you're kind of giving a fake story. Didn't somebody else run faster at the same meet for 100 meters? This is true, Robert. This was, I believe it was the second section of the college section. So it wasn't even like the top heat of the college section, which had Matthew Bowling in it. It was the second section. Javon Martin of Florida State runs 9.94, which is... Yeah, faster than Catlin won to, ran to win the pro section. His previous personal best, 10.40. Now, that's from two years ago when he was at Sam Houston State. He's since transferred. It's a little misleading. He's also run 10.17 with a 2.9 win. But this was a total breakout performance. Nothing he had done indicated 9.94 speed. So, you know... He's obviously got to prove it, and he'll get the chance to do that at NCAA's the Olympic trials. But nine nine four in April—that's that's pretty damn good. I'm very excited, Javon, Javon Martin, to see where he goes from here. Wait, this is crazy. This just shows how like Let's Run is so focused on the on the distance running. Do we think maybe he falls started? Has there been any talk of that? I mean, this is so outside of the realm of like what he's done in the past and even like what people are expecting him to run. Well, my question was, was did they mismeasure the wind? Was the timing off? Like I, at first I was like, is this just a typo? Like some unknown college kid runs nine, nine, four, but I, I tend to have, I, I, we saw earlier this week with Craig Nowak, he ran this really fast, steeple at eastern kentucky and then they're like oh yeah actually the steeple start line was wrong but i don't think they got the start line wrong in the hundred so i don't know i mean look we'll find out pretty soon he's gonna have to race accs he'll run ncaa's he'll run regionals like if this is a total fluke we'll find out about it but i tend to believe it's an accurate result and this guy you know he's just he's he didn't really get to compete last year and now he's getting his chance i found video of the race i'm watching as we speak it's kind of a bad angle from the video because it's in the middle of the track. I mean, it doesn't look like he destroys these guys by that much. He does. I mean, it looks legit. No false start. Nothing, John. Okay, this is great. I want this guy to win the Olympics. Be the biggest, like, rags to riches story. And I'm, I'm going to put it on the record. I'm, I'm, I'm on a hot streak right here with the predictions. Justin Gatlin does not win the Olympic 100 meters. A 39-year-old male will not win the 100 meters. Wow, really going out on a limb with that one. Well, then. Really going out on a limb. John, you're afraid to put it out there. You're afraid to put it out there. People can dig up this audio. You know what? I'm going to say it. Kim Collins won't win the Olympics this year either. And you know what? I'm not going to win the Olympics in the 100 this year. So two bold predictions from me on the record. I'm not afraid to say it. But I do think that Robert had a good point. The question with Gatlin, like, he's very consistent. He's got to show, you know, he showed it in Doha. You know, he got down there for the silver medal. But you're going to have to run 9-8 to medal, most likely, and either 9-8 low or 9-7 to take the gold. I think at this point in his career, is, I could see him meddling, but I do think it's going to be tough to get 9-8 low 
197 high for a 39-year-old to do that. I just don't really see it happening. It's kind of interesting, though, John. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm saying he can't just drop it down because I'm looking at his 2019 results. And in 2019, Gatlin, remember, I guess he had a buy into world, so he didn't need to run USAs. But he here's his time. He was running over 10 seconds in almost all of his races. 10 flat, 10.16, 10.01, okay, 987, 992, 991. So, but that was in June and July. And then he went to USA's 10.16, 10.16, 10.0, but he wasn't going all out there because he was just running the, the prelims. Then 10.08 into a headwind, 9.97. This is right before Worlds, 10.08 and 9.97. And then he went to Worlds and ran 9.89. So. Yeah, but he ran, he had run 9.87 at Pre, 9.92 in Lausanne, 9.91 at Monaco. Like, the fact that he could run 9.89 in the final, Doha isn't a huge shock. 9.9 in, in April is fast. I mean, I, I there's a lot of people that are in shape for the Olympic year, which is good. So I'm not ruling him out. And I it's weird. I, again, I talk about how I like to be contrarian. I probably would be rooting for him just to see just to see the reaction. You root for chaos, huh? Yes. More publicity for sport. Well, that's why that's why you want Alberto's ban overturned, right? We're still on Alberto watch here. It's been what five weeks now since his CAS case was heard. Now, John, have you done any research? When was the Christian Coleman case heard, and when did the verdict come out? So that that case was heard February, mid February, I think, and the verdict came out mid April, so two months. So if the Salazar one was heard mid March, you would think about mid May. Though the Salazar one could be a little bit more complicated, you know, I, I bet there was more witnesses and a little longer, so maybe it doesn't. Maybe it comes out on the eve of the Olympic trials or something. It's total cra- craziness. If Salazar is clear, do you guys think Galen Rupp will go back to Salazar? My take is that he will not go back officially with Salazar. He'll let Ben Rosario coach him at least through the Olympics. Ben Rosario is coaching Rupp now. Do you have breaking news that you didn't report yet, Robert? I mean. Whatever the other Flagstaff guy's name is, Mike Smith. He'll let Mike continue to coach him through the Olympics, but then he can at least talk to Alberto officially. I I would be, my guess would be he'd at least stay with Mike Smith through the Olympics. And even, you know, and then I guess depending on how he does at the Olympics, maybe he'd decide what to, he decides what to do from there. But Nike seems to be worried about the PR pushback on things. And one thing we need to talk about, we did, should have probably talked about a thing. Pete Julian. The former Alberto Salazar assistant of the Nike Oregon Project, you know, he's now basically coaching that group without a team name. It just came out this morning that they're going to give him an assistant coach. Sonia O'Sullivan, the 2000 Olympic silver medalist at 5,000 meters, former NCAA champion at Villanova, is going to be his assistant coach this year. Um, she's you know, excited to be involved in, high, in athletics again. Um, her daughter is actually a freshman at the University of we- of Washington, so she'll be close to her. So it's kind of like, I think this is a great PR move for Nike. A, Julian probably needs the help. B, they get a female in there. C, she gets to be closer to her daughter. It sounds like a win-win-win. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, Robert. You know, we've seen Shalane Flan- Flanagan is the uh, assistant for Bowerman, and Sonia Sullivan's a woman, you know, her accomplishments in her career – that you could even argue surpass Shalane Flanagan. So to get a, a super accomplished woman working with some of these athletes that, you know, you get the 
you get another woman involved in high-level coaching, which is a win for Nike. She's obviously a fantastic resource. She gets to be close to your family. Yeah, you, you nail it, Robert. I don't see anyone who would be upset with this arrangement. It's going to be interesting to see how long she stays there right now. Uh, this is just an arrangement through the Olympic Games. So curious to see whether it's a long-term thing or not. One other thing it's worth noting, I mean, Sonia O'Sullivan's married to Nick Badeau. She's, you know, she lives in Melbourne and Nick Badeau runs his own track team you know the melbourne track club so it's kind of curious i wonder if she was she involved as a you know you would think if she was going to be an assistant coach or something that's a nike sponsored group she might stay with that but maybe she wants to be close to her daughter anyway i think this is a success i think it's a good move and uh, excited to see how it goes yeah john i did think about that because there's a article in the irish times about this announcement that i was reading this morning and i I thought it was a little bit weird in the sense of well i'll just read part of this quote she says quote even though i've been involved with nick's group here the melbourne track club and i've been to different training groups and how it all works and seeing how it all works it's also a chance to do something different be with a different group of athletes that's exciting a challenge and i'm a bit nervous as well but when you haven't had something like this in your life for a while it's good to give it a go and have some purpose again in big time athletics I just thought that the last part of that was an unusual quote because if she wanted to have a role in big-time athletics, couldn't she just take on a higher profile with her husband's group? I mean, I thought that was a kind of an awkward quote. Well, she could, but she, you know, maybe she wants to do her own thing, and Nick's been running the thing, so no, no matter how much of a role she takes, she's kind of second fiddle. I mean, I guess she'll be second fiddle in Pete's group, but it's like it's just like a clean break and who knows maybe she even just wanted to go visit her daughter if, she, if you want to leave australia now you probably have to quarantine for two weeks and she's like hey i'm just gonna make a summer of of it I, I don't know i mean yeah to leave australia and move to the states is a big move when when your husband's back in australia but her daughter's nearby with the olympics this year see how it goes and i, I wonder if she knows pete or someone behind the scenes at nike probably made this happen and when this news came out, Weldon and I weren't sure, or at least Weldon wasn't sure. I, I Weldon wasn't sure if Jonathan Galton knew who Sonia O'Sullivan was, which... Frankly, I was insulted. I've been working for Let's Run for almost seven years now, and the idea that Weldon might think I don't know who one of the greatest runners of the you know late 1990s, early 2000s is, just a little offended, Weldon. I didn't know. John actually wouldn't have known who she was. I see Sonia shared her training logs in Let'sRun.com. That's probably how John knows of her. That was probably well, it. I was about to say, Weldon may be coming getting senile because in 2015, I ran into Sonia at the World Cross Country Championships in Guiyang, China, and she was super friendly. Maybe, actually, this is good. Maybe we'll have inside scoop now to the NLP because Sonia and I were on great terms. She was very friendly. She sought me out and handed me her training logs from – Back in the day. And John was the one who actually, I gave the training logs to John and told him to write the article. So I think you interviewed her, right, John? I did. I think she only, she didn't, I don't think it was a phone interview. I think it was just uh, email exchanges, but she was very helpful with that. We'll put that um, in the show notes, but we have, we have her training log from 1998 when she won World XC, I think. And I think Sonia, we should have really have her on the podcast. This would be cool, but. I believe she used to train at Princeton when I was there. I remember kind of wasn't actually on the team. But I would hang out at the track sometimes. And I remember she's kind of like, is that Sonia Sullivan? At least she would run meets there. So, Did Lynn Jennings train there as well? Lynn Jennings, by the way, Weldon, is a three-time world cross-country champion for the United States. I've, I've heard of her as well, uh, in case you're wondering. John, do you know who Nick Bedeau's former wife was? Kathy Freeman. Were they married? Do you know who Kathy Freeman is, John? Um, hmm, let me see. 
Damn it, nothing gets past this guy. Corsa, Corsa, Kathy Freeman, it's like one of the most famous races in Olympic history. And actually, I was old enough, the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, I was old enough, that was the first Olympics I remember watching. I was nine years old at the time. And they made a huge effing deal about Sid, Kathy Freeman, obviously, uh, because she won gold in the 400 meters wearing the, the, the bodysuit. I think she was she the is she the only athlete who lit the Olympic flame and also won gold in that in that Olympics. I think she lit the Olympic flame that year, right? Yeah, talk about pressure. I, I guess I had forgotten Nick Badeau was married to Kathy Freeman. Were they and married? Was, I didn't know if they were married or if they were just dating, but certainly they had a relationship. I mean, should we criticize Nick? This guy's clearly got a, a case of speed goggles. He only dates like world or Olympic champions. I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, guys, while we're talking about women from other countries, powerful, famous women, Kasia Semenya is back in the news. And I think John didn't think this was a big story, but I think it is. I mean, I think for the real track nerds, it's not a big story, but come on. She's the reigning two-time Olympic champion, right? And three-time world champion, 800 meters. I mean, I guess probably because, to be honest, some of us view her as being intersex, so we kind of discount those performances a little bit more than we what would. What do you mean view her as being intersex? She is intersex. That's not like a okay. opinion. Thank you, John. Um, well, I was just saying, if if someone else had those credentials ran, if David Rudisha ran a 5,000 was trying to make the Olympics, we would be going, holy gaga. So anyways, Caster Semenya, the former 800-meter champion, has run a 5,000 and won the 5,000 meter championships at the South African champs. She ran 1552. Um, and she said after this race, she's no longer going for the 200 meters at the Olympics. Remember, because of the new regulations, she's not eligible to compete at anything between 800, between 400 and one mile, unless she takes testosterone suppressors because she has internal testicles. Um, anyways, to me, this wasn't a big story. Like, I don't think she's going to make the Olympics. Maybe she does make it. I think it would be kind of cool if she makes it. Wait a second. You said this isn't a big story, and then which is what I said. And then you said, no, this is a big story. I'm going to talk about it. And now you're saying this isn't a big story. Well, please get, tell me what you actually think here, Robert. Can we just delete what I've been saying? I've been going back and forth. <laughs> I don't think it's a big story from a performance standpoint. Castro Semenya's days as a factor in women's track and field are over barring a court decision in her favor. So I always thought, you know, remember at one point she was like, I'm a champion. I'm a champion's mindset. I can do whatever I want. I can play whatever I sport I want. That's not the way it works. And I think actually this is a perfect example of this because you're seeing that, you know, it doesn't cross over. You know, Michael Jordan wanted to be a great baseball player. It didn't work out that way. So anyways, I, I just think it's, worth pointing out that she's going for the 5,000. She's given up on the 200 and, you know, I think it's possible if you convert for altitudes, like she's in the 1530s, it's conceivable she can run 1520. 1510 is what she needs to run. Uh, I think it's to be tough. Well, I noticed she ran, so she ran the 5k, at the South African championships two years ago, and she won that race in 1605. And now she's run 1552. She won the race. It was a 4,000 feet, 4,400 feet or so of altitude. So 
Could she get down to sub-15-10 in three months' time? I find it quite unlikely, but it's not totally possible. But even so, even if she gets to the games, I would say, you know, that's kudos to her for persevering. She's not going to be a factor. She wouldn't make the final. So, I don't know. Uh, But she's got a lot of work to do to even get to the Olympics in the 5,000 after running what she ran uh, over the weekend. It still is pretty amazing that she's the the South African 5,000 meter champion. I mean, if an American could win the 800 title and the 5K title, it'd be pretty amazing. So, and also just the, the situation we are with these rules, right? A woman, an intersex woman could run the 200 and the 5,000, but not the 800 and 1,500. It's kind of crazy on the surface when you think about it. But I have a lot more sympathy than her for her than a transgender woman trying to compete in the women's category at the Olympics. So I don't know. Castro is sort of an interesting place in sort of the intersection of sport culture and everything these days. And I don't think she's going to make the Olympics. She's got to get down to 15, 10. That's a lot. All right, guys, do we want to talk at all briefly about the USA one mile road champs tonight? in Des Moines. I mean, by the time most people of this podcast listen to it, the race is probably going to be over. But I do think it's kind of interesting because Craig Engels and Clayton Murphy, two Olympic contenders, are going to be squaring off. I think there's snow... Runner Space tweeted out it was snowing in Drake Stadium in Des Moines this morning, April 21st. They're supposed to be running the one-mile road champs on the roads tonight. So I don't know how much fun they'll have. But to me, I mean, Engels versus Murphy, that's a that's a race. I'm gonna. I'm certainly gonna watch it tonight. Do you guys have any predictions? Maybe we can play this back in our next episode and take another victory lap. Well, I definitely want to talk about. It. I'm glad you brought it up because I knew there was something else I wanted to talk about. Because it's interesting to have to be on the record and to put it out there. What I often think: What were people thinking when that happened? So now we'll know what we were thinking. It's easy to think: Oh, I was thinking this. I was thinking that. If you don't actually have to put it, you know, on the on the record. Um, I'm very excited to see this because Murphy. I mean, he's got an Olympic medal on his resume. He's a huge talent. He ran that subpar race, 148 indoors, and, and kind of tweaked something. Hasn't run since. So this is big for me. The fact that he's healthy enough to run in early April, I think that's to scare a lot of people because if he's healthy, he's going to be the Olympic team. Um, and I'm looking at the weather. It looks like it'll be in the 40s. In, in, is it Iowa City or is it Des Moines, John? Des Moines. We're probably still in the 40s there. So, you know, I think that yeah, it's going to be in the 40s. I would like to – I'm really looking to see, A, how does Murphy look? B, Craig Ingles better beat Murphy. Um, You know, Murphy's more an eight guy. Craig is better at, at the 15. So, you know, Craig Ingles is, is the reigning U.S. champion at the 1,500 meters. Never made an Olympic team. It's big years for him. I'd like to see a strong showing from him as well. Yeah, and the rest of the field here, you've got Abraham Alvarado, Eric Avila, uh, Ryan Hills running it, Justine Kepratich, the NCAA runner-up in 2019 and 2017. Do you guys take – I want to put you on the spot here. Angles, Murphy, or the field? I'm going with Ingles. I feel like Ingles is not progressing of late, but he did run 336 this year already. That's probably better than everyone else this year. Like, I wonder what the next best time is. But I think, I mean, the next, we got two months. There's not much time. 
the next two months are huge for both these guys. Craig Ingalls will either make his first Olympic team or not. And then if you don't make it, like, I guess you got another Olympics in three years and Eugene next year, there's some stuff to shoot for. But it would be a huge deal because he was fourth in both events last time, right? He was fourth in the 800 and fifth in the 1500. Yeah, out of college, nobody really knew who he was. I mean, great runs. But then if five years later, you don't make the Olympic team, it's like, okay, what are you doing with your career? And whereas Murphy, you know, comes out, gets the Olympic medal, everyone's like, oh my God, the future of 800 meter running is his. And now maybe he's the third best American. I mean, Robert said, oh, if he's healthy, he makes the team. Well, you got Donovan Brazier and Bryce Hopple. Like, they're just as good as Clayton Murphy right now. I mean, they're better than him. But even healthy, I don't think... Isaiah Harris, I picked Isaiah Harris over Clayton Murphy. Now, I might be wrong, but Isaiah Harris is damn good. And so uh, this is a huge race for Murphy to see where he's at because he did not race last year after indoors. He's run one race this year. And it wasn't great. So the fact he's racing this, I think, is a positive. He wanted to put something on the schedule. I think, uh, I don't know. Why do I, you guys just harp on Ingles? I just think like he hasn't done that great. But am I going to pick Murphy to beat him in the mile, road mile? Probably not. I'm going to go with Ingles. Okay, I mean, I'm picking Ingles as well. Again, 336 indoors, I think. And he's the 1500 guy. But it is interesting. You bring up an interesting point, Well, and you're like, if I mean, this is a huge year. Every Olympic year is a huge year for athlete. But for Craig Engels, because he just missed out in 2016, no one really expected him to do anything. But now he's the reigning US champ. People expect him to make the team. He's turning 27 on May 1st. So he's going to be 30 years old by the 2024 trials. It's not like 30 years old, 30 year olds can't make the 1500 team, but they usually don't. So. If you don't make the team this year, there's going to be a bunch of young, hungry guys in 2024. I mean, this is this is the year for Craig Engels to make that team. The other person I'm excited to see is Justin Kipertich. John, help me out. Who does he train with? He is uh, coached by Stephen Haas, I believe. He runs for Hoka Oneone, and he trains out in Flagstaff. Because is, has there ever been a guy more under the radar? I mean, did he not have U.S. citizenship when he was in college? I mean, we're talking about Craig Engels. Kipertich beat Craig Ingalls at the 2017 NCAs. Kipertich was second. Kerr won it. Kipertich was second. Ingalls was third. This, you know, Ingalls was great in 2016 at the trials and was like fifth and fourth. And then at the last NCAA championships, I, I'm anointing your Naguse. Naguse is an Olympian, but that was a tactical race. And they had the same time. Kipertich 341-39 and Naguse. And they beat, you know, Ollie Hoare in that race. So. Yeah, Kipertich has got a big kick in a championship kind of race, which I think in the road race, those, you know, he's not going to have a rabbit here. If he's in shape, he could threaten them, but I, I don't know what kind of shape this guy's in. So, but I think that's a good thing to point out, Robert, to see he's worth watching, keeping an eye on at least. Oh, yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to say about Kipertich. I was doing some research trying to figure out when he became a U.S. citizen. It looks like 2018. But there was a great article in the Detroit, Detroit Free Press from 2018 about how he and his sister and his mom moved over to the U.S. when they were preteens and whatever. But th there was a line in there that was kind of 
shocking to me or I don't know, very interesting. And I'll just read the excerpt here. It says, before they ever became long distance runners, from he and his sister, it says, classmates in Kenya poked fun of him and his sister as children. It wasn't anything malicious, but the punchline of the joke was the two were perfectly suited to become distance runners because they are the Kalajan tribe, which has historically produced some of the greatest long distance runners ever. And here's Justine t- talking about it. Other than my sister, I was the only Kalajan in school. They were always teasing me about my running. It cultures you into being a great runner and always n- n- and always knowing running. It's in you. We had a field day and there were short distance races, long distance races. My teacher kept telling me to do, to do long distance races because I'm Kalajan. But I ended up just doing short distance races because it's easier, said his sister. So there you go, folks. I just thought it was fascinating. First of all, this proves that all of humanity stereotypes people. It's not just a racial thing. I was pointing out not everything is racist. It's just a natural thing. Like you're a certain tribe. Oh, they, they're generally good at this. So let's calm down and separate it. There you got some people in Kenya somewhat discriminating against other people in Kenya based on their tribe. Okay, let's end with a thread of the week. It's on another mid-distance runner. This thread is titled, Radisha is back looking slim. And also, I'm done with the thing not talking about people's appearances. We, we can talk about people's body type, especially how it's related to performance. We can do it for men. We can do it for women. I'm just going to talk about, have a pure heart anyway. And the post just says, good luck, King David. And it links to an Instagram post. And it's got Radisha with his arm around some guy who just graduated from high school. Second post, Radisha looking skinny. But then the third post says, it is too bad that Radisha is too old to be the best anymore. At 32, David will never run sub-144 again. Now, David Radisha, it's crazy. He has not run a wet race since 2017. I mean, it's four years. And he's trying to come back this year and be the first three-time 800-meter Olympic champion. But do you guys think he has any chance of even making the team? No. What do you mean trying? I don't think he's trying. No, he said he was trying. He said, like, I think you're lost year, right? He was going to try to make the team, but I've seen no evidence. Uh, you know, he's talking about, oh, he, it's time to drop Shay, you know, drop some pounds. He knew he, you know, it's time to get serious, but he, look, he's the 800 goat, but he hasn't raced since 2017. He's three months, or I guess it's four months out from the Olympics and still hasn't raced this year. No, he's not making the team. There's a website here that has the age records by, or 800 meter records by age, by birth year, by every year. It's kind of interesting. I mean, Johnny Gray, American, ran 142.8 at 32. Johnny Gray was amazing. He ran 145 at age 39. But yeah, John, I, I mean, I guess we, we don't have much time here. So if he's going to do anything, he's got to probably run a few races here in the next month or so. Maybe somebody who follows his Instagram more than me can see if he's actually training. There seems to be some hope that he is. Although somebody said, Wikipedia, you know, it's the authoritative source these days, says he's retired. <laughs> but didn't Donovan Brazier say Radisha was tired as well? He thought he had because Brazier, remember, Brazier came onto the scene and he started racing internationally in 2017 and Rudisha was not, you know, that was his last summer. I think his last race was like July 4th, 2017. So I don't blame 
Brazier for in 2019, Radisha hadn't been on the scene for two years for thinking he might have been retired. My only other 800 news of note to report is Devin Dixon, who ran 144 in 2000 years are off 2019, I guess. People were you know putting him as an outside shot for the Olympic team. I mean, he ran 47.400 again this weekend. Just not there. He ran 151 for 800. Got fifth in the Texas-Texas A&M dual meet. I just feel like there's not enough time for him to get into shape. I mean, a normal 800 guy was running 47. You think, oh, there might, there might be a chance. But this guy's going to do anything at the trials or even be at the trials. It's going to take a, a miracle two months here. I'm kind of curious what happened to him. Because, like you said, he was second behind Bryce Hopple at NCAAs in 2019. I thought that guy, you know, he'd be a threat this year. Actually, speaking of someone who definitely won't be at the trials, Andy Bayer, fourth placer in 2012 in the 1500, and he finally made his first U.S. team in 2019 in the steeple. And it has just been announced David Woods of the Indianapolis Star has broken the news. Andy Bayer will be retired. He is retired from the sport of track and field. He won't be at the Olympic trials of the Olympics this summer, which I thought is interesting because right now he's one of only three Americans with the Olympic standard in the men's steeplechase. So uh, that's interesting, but Nike recently dropped his contract, dropped him, and he's got two adopted children, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I think he wants to focus more on his family. So uh, And he doesn't have a contract, so that's sort of the, his his reasoning. I mean, I assume at this point he hasn't been doing the training, right? He knows there's no chance, but... Yeah, they said he stopped training in January, so um, obviously he's not going to... So people, come back on Friday supporting club members. If you're not a member already, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe, $1.50 a week. We'll send you a shirt. It's an amazing deal. You can save 20% on shoes. It'll pay for itself. Plus, on Friday 15, you'll get to hear us preview the Oregon Relays once the fields are out. Talk about this USA Road Mile and much more. Until Friday, signing off.